how can I help this girl? She was more broken than me. It's really weird having my son here because one of the things I tried to be careful of for most of his life is just to not talk about my depression. Only in recent years have I started to even talk about it because I figured if I talk about it, then maybe my, it could get on my kids. It's one of those things, you know, I, I didn't want it to get on my kids. I'm, I've always been like, gosh, I don't want my daughter. All of a sudden she has a big fight with her husband and, you know, next thing you know, she feels like her life is gloomy and then all of a sudden her brain snaps. You know, I've learned things uh, about, I've learned some things about depression and I, and I fought this battle and I kind of got to the point in life just about, about maybe a year and a half ago where I, I actually got scared. Um, I, I don't think I'd ever kill myself just because there's one reason that I would never commit suicide is because I wouldn't want to pass that legacy to my children and to all the people that I've ministered to. Because I think, I, think, I think your final act is part of your legacy, a big part of your legacy, and I wouldn't want to pass that to people. So there's always something holding me back, you know. Um, but I've been sad. I've, I've been on my floor. I was betrayed one time so many years ago by some of my closest friends, and it hurt so bad that I was, I remember I was on my bathroom floor and I was, I was literally on my bathroom floor crying so hard. Blood vessels were breaking in my eyes and, I, and the toilet was just from here to there. And I was so crying so hard, I started vomiting onto the floor. I couldn't even make it to the toilet. And I remember saying to God, I, I don't wanna commit suicide, but would you please give me a heart attack? I just wanna die of natural causes <laughs> and I wanna leave this earth. And, and uh, you know, somebody picked me up, like what I preached about this morning. People have carried me. God has, has kept me. But I, about a year and a half ago, I started thinking to myself, man, what if I was happy? <laughs> I mean, I've changed the world, but what if I was happy inside? Like, I don't even, there's probably a whole new realm of sermons that could come for me in the future. Things I haven't even considered because I haven't had a happiness paradigm. And, and so here's what started happening. Uh, I read a lot of books. More than one book a week, sometimes two. Here, here recently, as many as three books a week. I'm just consuming books. But I'm not just reading books. I'm reading books about what I'm trying to fix in my life. I, I read nonfiction. And so I've, I've, I've been reading all of the, don't judge me, most of the books on mindset come from Buddhists. And, it's, and it really makes me sad that Buddhism has so, such great teaching on mindset. But yet, and I think to myself, Christians have been very weak in this area to, to heal people, to heal people who are struggling. The extent of it is, we'll pray for you. And... Uh, Man, I appreciate when, people, when pe people pray for me, but I finally reached this point where I was like, man, people can be praying for me all day long, but there's something broken inside of here, and none of them can get in there. I have to take authority over what's happening inside of my mind, and I'm the only one who can fix this. I'm the only one who can fix this. And so here's what I did. This, I'm going to give you my journey, right? So I... Uh, I started looking at my character. I wasn't even touching depression yet. I just started looking at my character, and I realized that 
um, that, I was a that I was a complainer. Um, still, I've always been an encourager. Like what I preached this morning, that's me. That's always been me. But there was this other part of me that I was kind of controlling, but it was still coming out. So somebody would do work. If, if you worked for me, you'd, you'd give me your best. You, you give me your best. <laughs> that voice again, it sounds like a squeaky toy. <laughs> wicka, wicka, wicka. Uh, but you would give me your best, and then I would be like, uh, you know, I wish it could be, you know, the law of delegation, according to Dean Radke, is once you can get somebody to do it 80% as well as you, give it away. And then the real high level is when you can find people to do it better than you, now you have a dream team. And so the goal of leaders, the goal of leadership is to get people 80%, give it away, and then over time, you're building the team and you're getting people who can do it better than you. Well, I just wanted to skip that one phase. If you can't do it better than me, then I'm going to do it kind of thing, right? And I struggle with that so bad. And so even though I didn't always say you can do this better, everyone around me felt he's not happy. And so I was like, this is going to be the year. I'm going to fix that inside of me. I'm going to lead this year by complimenting instead of complaining. So here's what happened. I just was like, this is not going to be easy. Because my entire life, I had so much history thrusting me forward in complaining. And so... I took an entire year. I remember my real estate coach said years ago, it takes anywhere from 18 months to three years, sometimes a lifetime, to make even a minor change in, in your character, in your behavior. It's the hardest thing to fix. You can't just fix it overnight. So if you see something major you want to try to fix, be patient with yourself because it could take a while. So I was like, man, you know what? If I could just make a, a little bit of a shift this year, something maybe could start to happen. I want to just get some positive momentum going in my life. So I made massive progress that year. And I was like, wow, things are changing. Uh, my assistant even said, I don't know what's going on with you, but I can tell that you are trying so hard to operate in, in complimenting and gratitude. And, and so... I started to say, okay, if I'm going to compliment people, I also, I want, so I started reading a lot of books on gratitude. This is where the seed for what's happening in my life right now started. Once I shifted into focusing on gratitude, it was like, I, it was like getting to another mountain peak, and then I could see the next peak, and I was like, there's depression. And it, and it was like, I got, I was like, I can get there from here, but for, for all my life, it was so far away. I made a step in the direction of gratitude, and I healed just enough to think, I think I can tackle depression, right? So what I did was, I mean, I read some books, some weird books, like, I don't know if you read The Secret. The Secret's a short book, and it's by some super weird Christian people, and I don't know if they're really Christian people. I don't know what they are, but uh, they, and, and they talk, and it's really exaggerated. It's like every thought you have the universe is responding. You know, and, and it, you're reading the book and you're just like, I'm thinking happy thoughts. I'm thinking million dollars. I'm thinking I'm healthy. You're, you're, just, you're just like, you're so terrified when you're reading this book because you're like, every thought is releasing an impulse and it ripples through the universe and the universe is waiting to respond to every thought coming out of my mind. And I was just so scared because all the thoughts coming out of my mind were so destructive. And I was like, my mind, th then when I was doing this, I was like, my mind is such a mess. And I was like, if this stuff is true, I got to fix this. And you know, here's the thing. Some people go, well, uh, you think about Robin Williams, right? Didn't that come as a shock when you find out, like, first time you found out that he fights depression? You're like, Robin Williams? Hey, billionaires commit suicide. 
lots of them, billionaires and millionaires committing suicide every year. So money isn't the answer. Things aren't the answer. Relationships aren't the answer. You know, um, you possess the power to change your mind. And, I, and I'll say this, that I think I had it written in my notes somewhere, but I'll just try to, try to wing it here. Um, is that, how was I going to say this? Um, friends, you can, you can get away from an obnoxious person. You can, get away, you can get away from a negative person. Be like, you can change your phone number. You know, you can just not answer. That's, that's awesome, man. It's really fun to do. I mean, <laughs> you know, but what I'm saying is, um, you, you, can, you, can, you can push away. Somebody's going to ruin your life. But here's the thing you can't push away is your own you. You're with this. You can't escape it. And some people, the, the biggest enemy that you're ever going to have is right in here. I mean, Joyce Meyer talks about the battleground of the mind, and she is correct. You win this, you win it life. You lose with this, you lose it life. This is where it's at. So, and I, I don't want to spend a lot of time, I, I'm trying not to preach, but here I am. I think it's because I'm in a sanctuary, so I, I, I get inclined to start to, like, get louder and preach here. But, you know, the Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove. The word prove in the Greek means to test or to try out, you know, so that you may test or try out what is that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God, right? So if you want to have that awesome will of God in your life, then you need your mind renewed. And, and it's not easy to renew the mind. This, this is probably, honestly, though, it's really, it kind of is. I can't believe the progress I've made. So I went from gratitude, and then over, the, over like the last six months, I shifted over and said, you know what? I'm going to whip depression in my life. I'm going to raise my basis level of happiness on up. I don't, and here's the thing. I wanted to get it because I started thinking to myself, what percentage of me, so this is the way it starts to go on the practical side. What percentage of me is happy right now? So one day I'm just sitting there, I go, I wonder what percentage of me is happy right now. I started just looking in. I went, hmm. I was like, I think I'm about 60% happy and about 40% unhappy. Now, 40% unhappy is pretty unhappy. This 22-year-old was like, I'm like 30% happy, 70% unhappy. This girl's in danger, right? But I was like, okay, 60% happy. So then... And, and, and by the way, if you're taking notes and you're looking for a formula, I'm kind of in it right now. So the very first thing that I started to do in my life to overcome depression is I started to inventory my thoughts on a regular basis. So the first thing I did was inventory my thoughts on a regular basis. Now, now remember, everything I said leading up to that is this. I started to realize that nobody else can fix me, that I have to fix me, that I can get away from other people, but I can't get away from me. I'm with me. I'm with what's going on in here 24 hours a day. I want to live with a happy brain, <laughs> right? I want to live with a happy Chuck, not an unhappy Chuck. 
I don't want to have to jump out of my body on a regular, on a regular basis. Like, like, like it's on fire and it's burning down and I've got to run away from myself. I want to create a happy brain, a happy life, a happy soul um, so that I can love my life, right? If there's a church service, I'd say, everybody say out loud, I love my life. I mean, that's one of the hardest things for a lot of people to say is, I love my life. Um, so the inventory is going on in your mind. And I'd like to just kind of make this a little interactive here. So I'd like to pick somebody, uh, somebody who deals with depression. And then it's kind of tough, tough thing to, uh, to admit. Um, somebody, somebody who deals with quite a bit of depression in your life. Raise your hand. Okay, I just, first hand I saw, will you stand up? Okay, how are you? How's it going? Okay, so come on up here. Let's do this. Now, what is your name? I feel like I should know because I've met you several times here. JD? Jenny. Oh, Jenny. Okay, I was like, JD. What's that going to stand for? Okay, everybody say hi, Jenny. Hi. Say, Jenny, you're beautiful. Jenny, Jenny you're awesome. Yeah, so, okay, so Jenny, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of say, say, ask you a couple of questions. So what percentage of you, what percentage of you is happy? What percentage of you right now is unhappy? About 40% happy. 40%? 40, she says 40% happy. Okay, now watch this. I'm telling you what I'm about to share with you and what we do with Jenny right now is incredibly powerful if you'll do this with your own life. First of all, those are real tears. Thanks. And Jenny, I hate to see you crying because I know what that's like. I know what it's like when all of a sudden out of nowhere, I, I look around my life. Do you have a good life? Watch. She's going to go, no, because good life, bad life is all about perspective. I'm, I'm, this is what I'm going to talk to you about. When we talk about inventorying your, your thoughts. So I'm asking Jenny, does she have a good life? I, I, it was like a loaded question because she can't really answer that question yet. She shouldn't answer that question yet. Because right now, she's 40% happy, 60% unhappy. The only thing she's going to be able to tell me is, no, I don't have a good life right now. Um, so from the 60%, first of all, let's start with the happiness. So you inventory your life and you go, what percentage of me is unhappy? What percentage is happy? Start with the happiness. Now, 40% of your life is happy. I want you to start to list the reasons why you're 40% happy. Just anything that's good. I don't care if it's the weather and it's springtime. My husband. Your husband. My kids are alive. Mm -hmm. So your husband. And, the Lord. and you have the Lord. So Jesus means everything to you, right? And your husband. And your kids. And you said my kids are alive. Does that mean they're struggling right now? Yeah. So you just, he went all the way back to the base. You see what she's trying to do? What am I happy about? What, all these people are expecting me to come up with something. What am I happy about? Okay, I have a good husband. You have a good husband? Wow. Wow. She has a good husband. You ever heard the phrase, as long as we have each other, it's us against the world, baby. We could take anything on, right? She has, she has a good husband. What I recommend is this. Once you inventory what makes you happy, you start to enlarge your focus. You start to expand your focus on what makes you happy. So now, that's why I said to you, do you have a good husband? Why is he a good husband? Because he loves me and treats me well. How long have you been married? Uh, nine years. 
She's been married nine years. She got a man that still treats her good and loves her. Nine years is a marathon this year, uh, in these days, right? So, um, is he a funny guy? Yeah. Yeah, does he make you laugh? Yeah. And is he, put, he puts up with... Uh, Mood swings. <laughs> Crazy mood swings. Where is he right now? He's, 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 like, he's like, you go to the depression thing, I'm going to go play golf. <laughs> I just need out of the house. <laughs> it was so funny. Emily was like, everybody was sleeping today, so she's like, she said she stomped through the house trying to wake up Parker and Pierce. Everybody was taking a nap, and then she came down late on the bed. I'm like, I'm working on my notes. I need you to leave right now. And she's like, I just am not wanted anywhere. She said, I'm going to go play with the dog with Deuce is barely alive right now. And she's like, Deuce didn't want to play with me, so I'm going on a walk. So she walks like five miles, and then she comes back to the house, and she's like, Chuck, I'm so bored, I can't wait for the depression seminar. <laughs> it was funny. Okay, so 40%, I'm sorry to keep you standing up here. So now, this is going to be the tough part. 60% of you right now is unhappy. Where's that coming from? My youngest son. Your youngest son. And my daughter being so far away. So your daughter's really far away. And she's not happy right now. And your youngest son, what's going on there? He's hooked on heroin. Hooked on heroin. Okay. What else? Those are the, those are the big ones, obviously. And they're just draining your life right now. Do you, so now... So now you write down what's making me unhappy. The next thing you do after you write down what's making me unhappy, and by the way, don't get mad. Some people go, that sounds so new age, man. We shouldn't, be, we shouldn't be messing with what's going on in our brain. We should just take it the way it is. Whoa, 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 hold on a minute. The Bible says, be transformed by the renewing. Your mind should be renewed. When you, when you came to Christ, you've been programmed all of your life, by the way. You've been programmed. Somebody's been programming you. They said something to you over and over and over and over and over and over. You started saying things. Whatever you say to yourself over and over is actually creating a program in your life. So what happens is, right now, there's a program running in her mind that's keeping her 60% unhappy. And you know what that program is? My son's hooked on heroin. My daughter lives far away. My daughter's unhappy. My son's hooked on heroin. He's never going to get off of heroin. This could end in death. All these different things. My daughter lives far away. She's unhappy. There's nothing I can do. I feel so hopeless. My whole life depends on my kids being happy. I'm a mom. Who could be happy when their kids are, are, are so upside down? What am I going to do? My son's hooked on heroin. My God, my son's hooked on heroin. My daughter is living so far away, and she's unhappy. And that program just keeps going over and over and over. And here, what's, here's what's going on. She has a great husband. She has, a, she has a phenomenal husband. And I bet if we were to take more time, there's other things that make her happy. What else makes you happy? I currently quit my job and just being home and being able to spend time with my husband. So in the words of Kenny Rogers, take this job and shove it. She just did that, and that's making her happy. <laughs> so, what's that oh is that Johnny Paycheck thanks man I thought didn't Kenny Rogers do it I don't know okay so sorry guys if I'm, my back's to this side over here okay so so you quit your job so you have some freedom now right yeah, and, a lot less stress. and a lot less stress okay what else makes you happy um, hobbies I'm painting my house <laughs> painting your house 
Okay, so you're painting your house right now. Do you like the outdoors? Do you like the springtime? Do you like birds? Do you like the sound of, do you have any pets? Yes. Yeah, what kind of pets? Two Shih Tzus. Two Shih Tzus. We just said that right in church. Uh, <laughs> come on, guys. <laughs> okay, so, so, um, so you got these two, two little dogs. And uh, let's see here. What else makes you happy? Being able to just to go out and enjoy the day and do Bible studies in the morning. Bible studies in the morning. Okay. So we could just keep going. And what? Church. <laughs> and coming to this church makes her happy. Huh. What percentage of your happiness on the 100% scale comes from going to church here? I'm just curious. You don't have to exaggerate it, but what percentage? 8%, 7%, 10%? 20%. There's a reason for people to come to church. 20% of her basis happiness is because of this church family. That's beautiful. That's incredible. She's probably getting another 7 or 8% from those cute little shih tzus she has. Her husband's probably getting, giving her, you know, maybe another 10 or 20%, whatever it might be. Um, the, you can, and, and, okay, so let's do this before you sit down. So now, this is what I've been doing in, in my life recently. I mean, just paying attention. You're like, what percentage of me is unhappy right now and why? What percentage of me is happy and why? Or unhappy, happy and then unhappy. And then I say to myself, um, I heard Tony Robbins do this thing one time where he said, thoughts are like files. So you picture you have this filing cabinet inside of your head. And he said, you can only have so many thoughts in the front. So look at the position inside of your brain right now. If you could just close your eyes and, and you see like there's this area. Let's just pretend your brain is the size of the sanctuary. The, the space, right? The space that's created there is like the size of the sanctuary. Let's just pretend that you're there and, you, and you've got this space around you. And in front of you, in front of her, most of the time, more often than not, my son is on heroin, my daughter's far away, my daughter's unhappy, my son, my wonderful husband, my beautiful shih tzus, this awesome church that I'm a part of, the Bible studies I get to have, I'm in good health, you know, I'm painting my house, I got to quit my job, all that stuff, pushed to the back. And on some days, it's pushed so far back, she has forgotten that she has all that stuff. And so what Tony Robbins said was, you have to choose which file's gonna run in your mind. And it sounds a little weird, but it works. So he says, basically you do this. You take the file, the negative file, and you put it in, an, in a folder. You close it. You stick it in the filing cabinet and you fling it back. And you see it just going back way, way, way back, all the way back, way, way, way back there. And then you take the other file. My great husband, I just got to quit my job. You pull that out of the file and you expand it and you, and you make it big. You fill the whole front space with that and you're focusing on that. So, ah, can you really do that? Yeah, here's the deal. You possess control. Now you can go ahead and sit down and I'm going to go, let's hear it for her right now. That's what a blessing. So I didn't want to keep her just standing up here the whole time, but I'm going to continue. I'm going to continue to speak to her situation because, because, uh, because in your, once you inventory, where's the, unha where's the happiness coming from? Where's the unhappiness coming from? Where's the happiness coming from? You possess the power to rivet your attention on that. 
So I go, oh yeah, well, I've got a great wife. Wait a minute. I do have a great wife. Wow, I thank God for my wife. She's beautiful. She's funny. You know, what else are you? That's about it. But I keep thinking about her. She's put up with me all these years. You know, I start, I keep thinking about her. She loves great shoes. Um, she's a very unique person that's just 100% herself. I love that. So I start focusing on that. If, if you expand, whatever you focus on grows. So, and, and here's the way you do this. You take your conscious mind. The way you program your mind, your subconscious, which is the program that's running all the time, is that you use your conscious mind. You, you don't think this is scriptural, but I'm getting ready to show you that it is. You use your conscious mind to say, whoa, 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 whoa. I've just become aware that I'm unhappy. I am 60% unhappy, and I, the conscious mind, am unhappy about that. And I'm going to change things right now because I'm not going to live like this. And so the conscious mind makes a decision to expand everything that's happy and to shrink or eliminate everything that's sad, angry. So the next thing you're going to ask yourself is when you have uh, whatever's making you sad or whatever's making you down, depressed, unhappy is the key word there. Then you ask yourself, if I'm 60% unhappy, what does that mean? Am I, somebody else, raise your hand if, if you fight depression. Raise your hand, you fight depression. Right here, right here. It's just because she's close, ladies first. Okay. So what percentage of you would you say, what's your name? Hannah. Hey, Hannah, welcome to Bethel Harvest Church. Nice tattoos. Okay, so Hannah, what percentage of you is unhappy? 40. She's saying 40% unhappy, 60% happy. Hey, high five, man, it's a good day. Okay, so 60%, 60% unhappy. Um, on, just on the unhappiness, I want you to think for a minute. Is it anger? Is it, is it overwhelm, stress, anxiety? Is it sadness? Is it coming from a relationship? Where is it coming from? Try to break it down for us in percentages. Um, part of it is definitely school. Um, I never really see my husband. Um, and then our anniversary is today, and we just found out this month that I'm pregnant. So, <laughs> Happiness. Sometimes you can find out you're pregnant, and it doesn't make you happy because you're stressed out. But that is a beautiful thing. Congratulations. Oh, my gosh, high five. A little baby coming into this world. Okay, what else? Our living situation isn't the best. We live about four hours away from our family and about an hour and a half from most of my friends. So I'm by myself a lot of the time. Do you, you don't like to be a lot by yourself a whole lot? Isolated, far away. Okay, so now, so what I would say to Hannah is, and to, any, to anyone else, here's what I started doing. I started saying to myself, okay, this percentage of me is unhappy. So I'm going to pick one of these reasons I'm unhappy, write them down, Start to go through the list and do whatever you can do practically to eliminate the problem. So, for example, if you, you just had a big fight with a friend of yours, call them up on the phone and end the fight. You know, you can do that today. You have to wait like 30 days or for the rest of your life to be angry. I have a, I have a grandfather 
Uh, he, he's passed away now, but he got in a fight with his brother when they were younger, when they were kids. They never reconciled their entire life. They died not talking. That breaks my heart. And you know, there are, this happens all the time. And so some people go, why are you unhappy? I'm in this massive fight with a friend. End it. Forgiveness brings healing, right? So for you, is there any of those situations going through right now that you can think to yourself, I, I think I can make some changes in my life practically to fix this? Um, we're working on moving closer to people we need to be around um, and closer to his work. So I see him. Um, and I'm also working on changing my path of study to be happier with that. So, Excellent. You know what? Most of the people in this room, your source of unhappiness, there are practical steps you can take to eliminate those this week. Here's, here's the thing with me. You know where most of my overwhelm came from? Is, um, most of my unhappy came from was overwhelmed. I was like, man, I am just going in so many directions. People are pulling. I can't push back. My God, my life. I wake up every day. My daughter comes into the house. She's all full of energy. She's bouncing around, and I'm not even seeing her. Like, I'm like, Emily's like, yeah, it was fun seeing heaven tonight. Heaven came by? And she was there for an hour, and I didn't even know that she was there because I'm looking at her, but my brain is so bogged down. And I'm realizing that's making me unhappy. And you know what? I decided several months ago that I was going to start pushing back. Like enough is enough. I started saying no. When I get, when I get into a week and I'm looking at the week and I'm overwhelmed, I just start canceling appointments. Go, my God, where's your integrity? Hey, man, my sanity and my happiness is, you know, if I've got, I've got to pit something against something, you know, I'm no good to you if I'm completely overwhelmed. And so then I just, I just go, hey, Kristen, I need you to push that to next week and the week after. Free my schedule right now. I don't have enough time to get done everything I need to get done because I'm going to go home at 5 o'clock and I'm going to sit down, I'm going to hang out with my family and I'm not going to be on my phone all night long. I possess the power over my own life to control my schedule. And, you, and, and the thing is that what's crashing your brain a lot of times is something you possess the power over. Hannah's saying she doesn't like to be isolated. She doesn't like to be alone. That's creating significant unhappiness in her life. She needs, now she's, you're married, married, right? Yeah. She's married now. So there's two people involved, but it's important for her to say to her husband, I'm really unhappy. About 20% of my unhappiness right now is coming from the fact that we're so isolated. We're away from everyone. Can we make a plan in 90 days to just move out of this place and to move somewhere else? That's just one little area of your life. And you start taking all the different areas of your life that are creating unhappiness and you start to fix them. Do you think you can fix some things in your, in, in your life? Say yes. Yeah, I made you say yeah. I made you answer. Um, the Bible says, take every thought captive and force it into obedience to the will of Christ. You know what that means? You in your conscious mind possess the power to arrest subconscious thoughts that are destroying your life. Um, if you don't do that, remember what Job happened to Job. Job said, the thing I feared has come upon me. If you let something run in your mind on a regular basis, you're going to create it. You're going to bring it into existence. Do you remember in Psalms 42 where David said, why, and this is King James, is why I remembered it. He goes, why art thou disquieted within me? Basically, why are you depressed? It's like David looked in the mirror and said, David, why are you depressed? And then David said to himself, hope in God, for he is the health of thy countenance. 
and thy, whatever it was, thy, 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 thy. So what, what David was saying was, it, it was almost like David was schizophrenic in that moment, right? He goes, why are you depressed? And then he tells himself to hope in God. You possess that power to start to coach your own self on what to believe and how to feel. Because I'm going to tell, I'm going to say this, happiness, man, I don't want to sound all frilly here and pie in the sky, but happiness is perspective. (laughs) Happiness is perspective. I remember in Bible college, we talked about hope. And when you're born again, you actually have more hope than a person who's not born again. Because hope is one of the, is one of the huge qualities of, of being a believer. We actually have the blessed hope also. We're not like those who have no hope. We believe in life after death. So even in death, there's hope for us as believers, right? So the problem with people is when hope starts to drop down and down and down and down, when you get to the point where you're like 10% happy, you're in trouble. And you need to reach out for help because that's, that's low. That's your bankrupt hope. And so, and so um, what I'm learning about my own life is that happiness is a matter of perspective. So here's what would happen. People come up to me and go, man, Chuck, you're such a great guy. So many people like you. Man, my wife tells me all the time, this is what she says, if you could only see yourself the way everyone else sees you, you wouldn't believe it. And then I tell her over the years, I wish I could, but I can't. It's perspective. You guys think I'm a good person? Honest, Mark, do you think I'm a good person? Yeah, well, not the best, but you the best. You the best. But no, here's the thing, right? So if I can't, I could be a great person, but if I can't feel my own greatness, that's a problem. If I can't feel happy about me, if I'm at war with me, Everyone goes, man, what a great guy. Keep preaching. And I go, I don't want to preach anymore. Do you know I've almost quit the ministry before? <laughs> I mean, I've almost quit many times. I was like, you know what? I'm just not doing this anymore. Nobody wants to hear it. I'm just done. And it's like, it's amazing how the devil will just, just make me feel like the biggest loser when I'm making the biggest difference. Well, get, tell me where is that in the Bible. Elijah had the same problem. He's changing the world. And then all of a sudden, one woman says, you know, I'm, I'm going to hunt you down and kill you. And he goes, it's over. And he runs away and he's hiding and he's like, you know, I'm the only one, God, you know, this and that. He's like, just take my life. I'm no better, you know, all this different stuff, you know. And, and what did God do? You know, it's so crazy. God didn't lay hands on him and said, receive it, brother. You know what he did? God just gave him a vision of the future. And he said, Elijah, I want you to leave here and I want you to get up and I want you to go anoint two kings and a prophet. And what he was really saying was, I still have a plan for your life. And that's what prophets do. They anoint kings and prophets. And he said, so just get up. Elijah was healed when God gave him a vision that he wasn't currently seeing. Do you remember when Hagar was, had left from Abraham? And she had Ishmael, and it says that she got out there, and they ran out of water, and she's, she's down there, and, um, and she goes, she, she puts the kid, I guess, under a tree or something like that, and she walks away, and she's like, basically didn't want to see her kid die, and she's like, we're just, we're just going to die. 
And then God shows up and says, Hagar, I've got a plan for your future. And God starts to speak to her about her future. And as soon as God gets done and poof, he's out of there, she sees a well. Now, I've often said to myself, and I, I believe this theologically, that the well wasn't created by God in that moment. The well already existed. Now I'm preaching. She couldn't see the well and she was on death's door because she couldn't see a blessing that was right in front of her. And see, that's what I believe is happening with a lot of people who are in depression. You just can't see the blessings in front of you. And so consciously, you have to train yourself over a period of time to see the blessings in your life and the hope will start to go up. Now here's the thing. There are some situations you can't practically fix right now. You can't just walk into your son's room or, you know, hey, son, I need you to quit heroin right now. And he's like, okay, mom, I'm so glad I was just waiting for this call. I'm done. Hey, maybe that happens. Try it anyway. Maybe this is prophetic. Just call him up. It'd be the greatest testimony ever. Yeah, that prophet just said, call my son up and tell him to quit heroin. He quit 25 years from today, and he's never had any since. It's just amazing. It's just a great miracle. You never know what God could do. But here's the thing. There are some things you can't practically fix. You can't fix them. That's when you need a miracle from God where you have to step into trust and say, God, I can't fix this. It is what it is, but I give it to you. Jesus said, cast your cares on me because I care for you. He said, do not, if you're heavy, if you're laden down, he said, bring your burdens to me, I'll carry them. He said, which of you can change anything about your life by walking around in worry? He says, give it to me. That is one of the keys to overcoming depression. Is on the areas of life that you can't fix, you have to train yourself to believe that God can fix it. And uh, so, let me just recap here a little bit. So you inventory what's going on in your mind. You just go, where's my unhappiness coming from? Where's, where's my happiness coming from? Where's my unhappiness coming from? And once you inventory that, you say, uh, or what percentage of me is happy? What percentage is unhappy? You go, why am I happy? Why am I unhappy? List, list. Spend time magnifying the list of the things that are making you happy. Right? I hope I'm okay moving around here. Am I okay? Am I out of the range? Okay. Remember this, I want you to say this out loud. For every one thing going wrong, there are 10 things going right. I tell you, that is, a one, that is one of the best affirmations you could ever pass on to your, to your kids. One of the best things that you can program yourself to believe. For every one thing going wrong, there are 10 things going right. So that means you want to train yourself to be the kind of person that sees blessings, 10 blessings to every one problem. Ten blessings to every one problem. Train yourself. You could, you could do things like this. Somebody comes and says, oh man, honey, things are just so bad right now. Oh, well, tell me about it. What is it? Oh, we got this going on, the finances, blah, blah, blah. Okay. All right, you done? Yeah, I'm done. Now tell me ten things that are going right in your life. You have to train yourself to see the good things going on in your life. You want to train yourself to see ten blessings for every one challenge. Amen? You guys getting anything out of this? Yes? Yeah, I'll tell you. So, so you know, you, it'd be easy. And I've got about 10 minutes, and I've got to 
I've got to wrap this up. Um, let me just see here. Uh, so you want to you train yourself to see the blessing. So, so what I've been doing is uh, I would recommend this. Do you want a resource? Here's a great resource. Uh, it's called the five-minute journal. Anybody heard of it? Five, you've heard of it? How many of you heard of the five-minute journal? How cool is that? I mean, you guys are so cool. You're so, like, on the cutting edge. Okay, the five-minute journal, it's just really this simple. You actually don't have to buy it. You can actually learn the five-minute journal from me right now, and you can just write these down every day. Okay, so I'm going to give you the five-minute journal in about two minutes. The five-minute journal. You ready for this? It kind of works. I'm not, this isn't, like, exact perfect, but this will work. Basically, the five-minute journal is just a whole journal of just uh, forms, it's just, it's just uh, you write the date up and it's the same thing every day, right? And it starts out by saying this. What is, what is good in your life right now? Or what is, what is happening good in your life right now? Or you, you can say, you know, yeah, what, what, is, what is good in my life right now? So you go, and the key about this is, if I say to you, tell me what's good happened in your life, like I just did a second ago for a few people, um, What's good in your life? You might go, well, I've got a good husband. I've got a good this. I've got a good that. But here's the power to the five-minute journal. You train yourself in every moment of your life. First, just every day. But I've progressed beyond every day to now I've trained myself and I'm riding my motorcycle. I go, what's good in my life right now? And all of a sudden, I ride by, I see an ice formation. And I go, oh my gosh, my eyeballs just got to see that. Wow, that ice formation, that was awesome. Or... My son surprised my family when we met up in Austin. He basically like walked and rode in sketchy vans and made his way all the way from Peru up to Austin, Texas to surprise my family and we caught up. That was a special moment when we, when we, when we schemed the whole thing where Corey walks into the hotel room and everybody's like, what is Corey? I mean, that's a great moment. And for that day, that was just one day. That was a great moment. You train yourself when a moment, a good moment's happening to stop, to look at it. To sometimes your life is, so you go, I got a great husband. What you should do when you see your husband is look into his eyes. See the color of his eyes. You know, unless he's coming in outside from, he's all sweaty. Then you can just be like, that's my man. He's got the man, he's got the sweat on him. He's just a man. I don't know. I don't know what you got to do to just perspective. It's all about perspective. But I had a coaching client that just said, I can only get one hour a day with my wife and we're working on pushing back because most of the time when somebody hires me, it's all about quality of life. Beyond when you're on, off when you're off. You gotta reduce hours, reduce hours. I tell a lot of people to work four days instead of five, work five days instead of seven. And so, and so we increase your, your time value per hour and we just start increasing quality of life. So I always say, can you double your income and increase the quality of life because I'm all about quality of life, right? And so, and so, so I, I say to him, one hour with your spouse, if you're truly there, is a, it'll be the best hour of your day. But if, you're, but if you're Facebooking and Instagramming and returning calls and texting and everything else, it could be five or six hours. One quality hour. You have to, you have to make it count. You guys feeling this right now? Yeah? So, so what you want to do is you want to increase, so the five-minute journal, what's happening good in my life today? 
You might just go, wow, it's just a beautiful day. It hit 70 degrees and, you know, I opened the sunroof on my car. Thank God I have a sunroof. And I heard birds. There's one day I wrote that in my, I wrote that in my journal. There's birds everywhere. I could hear them. I was like, wow, there's birds everywhere. That sound is so beautiful. Right now, this is special. I'm looking out over people. I gave an invitation. You guys came back on a Sunday. This is a huge crowd for a Sunday night to come and learn about how to create happiness at will. That makes, this makes me tremendously happy because somebody might get their life changed tonight. This is a special moment. Special moment with you, Hannah. Yep. Hannah, right? So what's good? And you're going to write down three things. Three things happening good in my life right now. Then you're going to say this. Um, you're going to say... Three things that I am. Three things that I am. I am handsome. I am the world's greatest worship leader. Hey. I was just getting into his vibes. I am courageous. I am brilliant. Whatever it is, confess three positive things over your life. Then, at nighttime, you look back and you say, three things that could have been better about today. And you just look back over the day and you go, oh, you know what? If I'd went and got coffee, I would have done better at Redefined because I just ran out of energy. And they were looking at me and I just fell over. Um, no, Gelato. Let's go right now. Let's skip redefine. Who wants to do redefine? We do redefine. We're going to get gelato. So anyway, I'm, I'm almost done here. So three things that would have made today better. Three things that would have made today better. You know what that does? It trains you in a real positive way to look back over opportunities and go, you know what? If I would have just went on that walk with my wife, that would have been awesome. If I would have just, it, it causes you in real time, just in a short term period of time to go, oh, I missed an opportunity there. And it, over a period of time, you're training yourself to notice blessings and to take, and to take opportunities, right? Um, and then, um, what is the other one? So three things would have made, oh, and then you're, then you're going to say three things. Oh, I'm sorry. This was back in the morning. I apologize. Back in the morning one, the other thing you need to do, three things that would make today great. That causes you to focus on what you want out of today. So, so the, the key to this is, is that you want to start to train your mind to notice the good, the blessings you have in your life. I'm going to tell you, this is one thing I've learned, and I'm, I'm almost done here. One thing I've learned in my life is every depressed person I've ever talked to has so much good going for them. They just can't see it. Every depressed person I've ever talked to has something good happening. I'm not going to say every. There's some people that I'm like, mm, I'm struggling here. Like, we need to get a doctor. But most of the time, you have so much good going in your life, and there's somebody else out there wishing they could be you. There's a homeless person. My, my biological father just reconnected with him. He said, there's this, there's this uh, he said, sometimes I struggle with life. He said, I go into mass. He's a Catholic. I go into mass. You know, every, every Sunday I go in there, and there's this lady in a wheelchair, and she has an oxygen tank, and she goes in there, and you can just see that, that 
my, my health, my health is just so much more. And he said, I'm complaining. And she, she actually gave a little story one time just talking about how grateful she was and how happy she was. You know, it's amazing. You look at somebody like Helen Keller and how grateful she was and how much she achieved. Somebody goes, if I just had this, there's always somebody out there that has less than you and they're happier than you. You get where I'm coming from? That's why I say that happiness is a perspective. So you're going to inventory yourself, check out the percentage, make a list, expand what's making you happy, rivet your attention on it, make it bigger, give it more time, give it more attention. You're going to look at the, the negative things and you're going to do whatever you can practically to fix those. I wish I could spend more time on that because I've learned how to fix a lot of problems that make me mad, unhappy, stressed. And then... When you're all done with that, you're going to give everything you can't fix to God. I'm not saying put God last, but I'm saying that do what you can. And when you're done, say to God, I trust you with my life. I can't fix this, but I'm going to put this into your hands. Father, I want to pray right now for everyone. I, we promise an hour, and I just want to just, uh, maybe I'll just do a couple of questions real fast. Uh, maybe not. I don't know, I'll just see what kind of looks I'm getting when I'm done. But I'm just going to ask you right now for everyone here just to fill them with joy right now. We put our faith out there and we just believe you. Man, God, I'm, I'm, I'm just pleading with you right now to just start to heal people all over this congregation. I hope I did a good job expressing what's happening in my own life right now. But I can just say to everyone, I can say publicly, I've, I believe I've raised my happiness, my basis level of happiness by at least 20%. I am, I'm, I am, and maybe even more than that, it's incredible. And, to, and 20% is huge. That's a big turn on the dial. It's amazing how much better I feel. And I just pray for everyone today, God, especially for those who are really going through it, that you would begin to heal them from depression. I speak to the spirit of depression. And I command you now to be broken off of people's lives. I take spiritual authority. Some things need to start with a deliverance. And I pray now, God, that you would break the spirit of depression. And that, Lord, you would bring the fruit of joy. Joy is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It is our spiritual inheritance. And we claim joy. Will you just say that with me? I claim joy over my life tonight. And I ask you now to put joy on people, to put hope in people tonight. And we thank you, Lord, that as you do this work in them, that there's a destiny that's going to come forth out of their lives that they never even knew was possible. Amen? I'm just going to say this. Don't be surprised if a month from now, all of a sudden, people are like, are you on cocaine? No, man, my depression's going away. I know, I'm sorry, I'm awful hyper right now. I'm just feeling so happy all the time. <laughs> you know, there, there's this guy that was depressed and jealous and all this, just really insecure. And then he got into this relationship with this girl and all of a sudden he's coming around and I'm like, dude, this isn't you at all. Like, who are you? He's like, I'm just so happy. I'm like, God, I hope she doesn't break up with you. See, I mean... What I'm saying is, this guy's not doing anything to fix what's going on in there. He's just got this good season. You want to take control over your life so you're not dependent 
on one person or another or another thing. Do I got to go? I got to done. Am I done? Can I just take five minutes? I'd love to ask a couple of questions. Anybody got, a, I got any questions? You're probably going to ask me something I can't answer, but let's see what happens. Questions. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. Wow. What is your name? Becky. Becky says, we're trying to hold things in so much. Do you have any suggestions for getting it out? Just that. Getting it out. I'm a master at communication. And I say I'm a master at communication. I love to help people communicate. Husbands, wives, my God, just give me one hour in counseling you and I'll get the two of you to say things that you should have said 20 years ago and you could have had such a better marriage. People are not communicating. They're not letting things out. I, I totally agree with you. Um, and I would just say the very fact that you're asking the question, let me just go a little bit deeper, Becky. So you're saying I'm holding things in. People have hurt you? Um, and when you want to release what is kind of like the idea behind that, what are, you, what are you hoping to accomplish? Like, who do you want to talk to and what do you want to do to get this out? Uh-huh. Wow, Becky, will you please come here? Is she a part of this church? Are you a part of this church? Trying to be? Becky, come here. You know, I don't, you can just tell something about somebody just, just from listening to them talk a few sentences. You are an amazing person. I'm not, that's so cliche, but my God. She, she's just so down on herself. You know what I would do if I were you? I, I'll tell you. Do we hear this morning for my sermon? Yes, sir. Yeah, you know, you know what I did to my, told my wife a couple weeks ago? I was preaching it in L.A. at the Dream Center, and I had this real edgy idea of something I was going to say. And I go, what do you think about that? She goes, ah, I don't know if I'd say that. And I go, don't do that to me. I'm trying to get out of the box. I need you to say yes. <laughs> She's like, well, I don't know. I don't know what to say. And, and I said to her, no, no, no. I want you to be honest with me. But I want to let you know where I'm at in life right now. I'm trying to get to the place where I'm a breath of fresh air that I say the things like that are so raw that everybody's like, oh my gosh, man. That guy just said it like I'd never heard it before. So I'm trying to like de-church myself, not de-God myself, but de-church myself so I can just really straight talk. Millennials like it straight talk, and I'm after millennials. I mean, that's my target. You know, it's my, it's my target. Unchurched people and a lot of millennials unchurched. And so I had to say to my wife, I was like, you're the biggest voice of encouragement in my life. I need you to like cheer that on inside of me. I'm trying to hit the next level. So I, I kind of had to train my wife to, to know what I needed. And I think it would be a good idea for you to go to different people in your life and say, listen, I, str I get down on myself sometimes. Will you please help me see my greatness? See, that's, are you married? No. Would you like to be? <laughs> Who am I? Ed Trout. <laughs> right? Bobby Trout. <laughs> Would you like that? Just, that just came out, man. That was impartation, right? That was a rubbing off on me. So. But you've got to find the happiness within yourself. I've got to be happy before yeah. I can yeah. make someone else happy. Yeah. And I know this. Becky, I'm going to tell you right now. I'm telling 
have you been around churches like this before? Do you, do you, you believe in prophecy and that kind of thing? See, more than ever before, I believe that God uses prophecy to literally change things in people. You know, like words are so powerful. And I believe that God is saying right now that he is about to shift. He is about to shift you into happiness in your life. No joke. Like something's going to happen inside of you. He's going to just set something straight. And so you've got that. Besides all this practical stuff we're talking about, God's getting ready to do a miracle in your life. And so, Father, right now, in Jesus' name, I pray for Becky that you would do this miracle. And as my hand's on her shoulder, I pray that other people are wanting that miracle, that they would receive it too, a shift. And I thank you for Becky, God. And I know that something's happening inside of her, that she is going to become the exact opposite personality that she's been in recent years. There's, there's going to be this happiness. And she's going to be one of those ones people are going to go, what's going on with you, Becky? Are you, have you taken up coffee? Have you... Um, are you, uh, are you on some kind of, using some kind of drugs? Or what is it for? What is it? And God, you're, she's going to just be able to testify that God touched my life. And, I, and, and it, something's changed. And, and I thank you for that right now in Jesus' name. And Becky, what I would do is, no joke, and I would say to everybody, I think it's a good idea. I had to tell my wife years ago, I said, honey, I'm so sorry that, that like, thank God for you. Because I wouldn't have made it if I'd had anybody else. Thank you for just dealing with that. But I just don't want to be depressed all my life and just keep draining her. There's grace there. I mean, there's so much grace. Do you know my wife has never one time in 27 years ever said, you know what, I'm just sick of you being sad all the time. I just wish you would finally grow up because you drain the life out of me. You know, she's never said that one time, and I'm not making that up. Never complained about having to lift me up all the time. She does it so wilf, so willfully. That's what I hope we got from this morning's sermon because that's what God's calling the church to do for people, to never be worn out, to never be worn out, to never get tired of clapping and cheering and building people up, to just keep coming at them with such positive force that their life has changed. And I think you, know, you might need to train some people in your life. Just go, you know what? I made a decision at Bethel Harvest Church on, on Sunday night that I was going to do everything I could to get control of depression and then I'm going to shift into happiness. The next 10 years of my life are going to be very happy. Good things are happening. I feel the outlook. I feel the hope. And I just, I just need you to help encourage me for a little while just to walk alongside of me and just build me up. Sometimes it's, you know, I've had to tell people before, will you just tell me I did a good job after my sermon? I think my son might know that I'm a words of encouragement person. Every once in a while, I said, Dad, that was a great sermon. When it comes to my son, because he's not a words person, that's like gold. I'm like, whoa, that must have been the best sermon ever. Because he's not a words of encouragement person. But even if Emily said, you know, Dad's struggling. I don't know if this happened. And don't tell me if it has. Dad needs encouragement. Will you please tell him he's done a good job every once in a while? It still works. And so I think it's a good idea to coach people around you to just build you up. And hey, make a deal with them. You build me up, I build you up. Hey man, let's hear it for Becky, guys. Okay, one more and then we're done. And one more question. Yes, over here. Yes. Yeah. Am I doing this right? You know, God's will, my will, it's all constantly in the front part of my brain. So do you deal with depression? No? What are you doing here? He's, hey man, this guy's gonna, he's gonna set up a counseling booth in the back over here. No, just kidding. So you're saying, you're saying the struggle, you're talking about the struggle between my will 
So you want to disappoint God. Do you feel like you disappoint God a lot? Yeah. Hmm. She's struggling to know what's right. Okay, so I'll try to answer that. What's your name? David. So my son has a great answer for that. He, he believes this. He believes that God's programmed, my son right here, him and I clashed over this for a while about destiny. Now I preach it like it's my stuff, but he's here, I gotta give him credit. So he says to me, man, everybody's out there trying to figure out what is it, God? What is your will? What is, he said, I believe this. All the way back when God spoke to Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. What God was saying was, I didn't make somebody and then try to, you said this years ago, God didn't make you and try to figure out what to do with you. He programmed you, David. Every single thing about you wants God's will to be done. The very fact that you want to do God's will is evidence that you'll find God's will. And what Corey's idea is, he says, all my life, adventure has been on this big, I mean, if you only knew some of the stuff he did as a kid, it was very tough raising him. Not really, he was a lot of fun, but he was exhausting. I could never rest. It was, it was like having a puppy that never talked turned into a lazy old dog every day of his life. And, but, but, but he's like, God made me to want that. And he said, I believe it's like this. When you're in God's will, you'll never be more happy than when you're in the middle of God's will. And I think that is, a, you know, how does this tie into this, to this message here? You know, this could be another whole thing, but I think it is important that if you are out of God's will, that you take some time to shift back into, God, into God's will. There's a lot of things I could do with my life, but I know I'm called to preach the gospel and bring people to Christ. And I don't want to just be a conference speaker. You know what I mean? Like, this is important. So I was created for this. And it's, there's a desire there. I don't know if I answered your question. Probably not, but we tried. Okay, that's it. Guys, God bless you. Hey, let's stand up and uh, let's thank God for the man of God here yet. Hey, let's give a big shout. I want to... This is awesome. This is awesome. I want to I give you... Sit down. I want to give you two things since we're here. And he's got to get ready for read. But there's something that God showed me what Chuck was talking about years ago. When I had lost everything, I went broke, I had to move out of a big home and watch my vet and cars be towed away and I had to go back as a failure at 27, 28 years old to my mom's house. And I laid in that house for probably close to six months and I was back in a bedroom that I used to be in and man, it's a small community. I probably had 80 different guys that went to school with me, working for me, family working for me and all this stuff. And I'll never forget, one day, Chuck, I'm just lying there in the middle of the afternoon. I think it was summer, I don't know, or spring. It's sunny out, but I had the curtains pulled. And I just all of a sudden looked at this dresser at the foot of our bed, and I went, man, that's, that's a pretty nice piece of furniture. That's the first positive thought I had in six months. And then I went, man, this is a pretty comfortable bed. And it's like something clicked in me. And it's like the Holy Spirit just showed me, look what's happening right now. And I started transforming. I said, I'm going to get up and go to a restaurant I used to own and shoot some pool. You know, oh, there's that guy that went broke that had all these people and cars. And he's, I just thought everybody would be looking at me like, 
we knew you were a druggie before and you would just fail eventually, you know. But they weren't. They were nice to me and wanted to hang out with me. And, you know, but it took, wow, that's a nice piece of furniture. So what are you saying? Every one of us, whenever we can, we want to be coached up. Whenever we can. Obviously, the Word of God is the number one coach. And it's life transforming and everything. And you hear me talk about it all the time. And then another great tool is when there's awesome people in your life that's a specialist in an area. You know, if I need to know about cardiology, I need to go to a specialist or study, whatever. Same thing with emotional things, whatever. But there's something that someone else that's a great coach and maybe you haven't given them enough credit. And that's you. Here's how you self-coach. Because what Chuck's been doing a lot there is self-coaching. Self-coaching is when I'm going through something that's dramatic or I'm going through something that's starting to get me down or break me or whatever it is. What do I do? I go back into my files, like Chuck was talking about, and I find a similar experience. Maybe it's not even similar experience, but it has a similar effect on me. And I go, what did I do to overcome that? What kind of, excuse me, pee and vinegar did I have to stir up in myself to fight that? What, what kind of thoughts did I have to have? Who did I have to be around? And what I find is you can go back into your life in positive events and negative events and begin to self-coach yourself. And say, well, well, what caused me to date and find this man, right? What, what, what caused me to even think there was something good in me? What, what, how did I have my son Landon? How, what happened in those events? And you start thinking about things in your life that you didn't have and now you have and what you had to do to get them. You see, a lot of people don't realize the struggle is not getting things, it's keeping things, right? And you can self-coach yourself a lot too by going back and looking at struggles that you overcame and defeated and saying, okay, how do I deal with that? How did I overcome that before? You know what, if I overcame that, this is really not that big a deal because I'm getting this way before what that other thing had me for a month or a year or a decade. See, it's like what you're going through right now. You're grieving. So what I want to tell you, because her grandmother just passed, mother, your mother is her grandmother, just passed and very involved in your life, lived with you, right? So what the enemy wants you to think, this is not normal. Oh my God. I shouldn't be like this. It's okay to be screaming and pulling your hair out, kicking on the floor. It's okay to go lock yourself in a room and say, Matt, everybody leave me alone. Any of that's okay because we all grieve a certain way. What's not okay is to be doing that a year from now or five years from now. So it's okay. It's okay to grieve. Now, here's the key. You're going to start seeing little steps. Oh, okay. I went to church tonight. You know, I'm pretty numb right now, but I could have used what he said a few days ago. Right? So here's the good news. It's going to change. And don't feel guilty about it. You're going to start having more peace. You're going to start, you know, my, my, I remember when my stepfather was killed. My mom was married a few years and my stepfather was killed in a mining explosion. And there had already been an explosion and he was part of the team that went in and got 15 dead bodies out. And he was a federal mine inspector. Him and one of his best friends went, were going in different shifts. And it was a deep shaft mine. You had to go in an elevator to go down in this mine and go miles back. 
And so now they've got the bodies out, and it's a week or so later, and they're trying to investigate what happened. And right as they come into the elevator at the end of their shift, he didn't even work there, but he was assigned that, that for this season. It exploded, killed him and 10 other men. They sealed the mine off. I'm in eighth grade. We just moved to a new town. I've already, I got a scar here where a kid stabbed me with a little pocket knife in the eighth grade. I'm a small kid. I had to fight to survive. My family is in another county. My mom and my little sister. And now my stepdad's dead and he's in a coal mine and it's not coming home. And you know, as I look at those events and look at those things, I remember my mom said to me one day, she went to the post office and I'm, you know, I'm like a teenage boy. You try to act like it's not bothering you that much and everybody's feeling sorry for you, but you're kind of covering it off. Like, it's bad, but you know. I'll never forget my mom comes home, my new little sister, you know, my little sister from my dad and he, she's just a couple years old, a few years old. And, and uh, she was kind of shaking. I said, Mom, you okay? She said, I, I guess so, son. I said, well, what, what, what's wrong? Well, I mean, she could have said, okay, we're in a new city. Your dad, your stepdad, which is my husband, the father of my, your youngest sister, is in a coal mine indefinitely with 10 other men. No, she didn't. She said, I was pulling out, and there was ice on this bridge. I was pulling out from the post office, and me and your little sister, Marshall, we just spun several times around and ended up in the middle of a main highway, and cars and vehicles went around us, but they missed us. And I said, well, what'd you do? She said, I just had one thought go through my mind. I said, what's that? And it was, if you kill me, if I die, I want her to die with me because I don't want her to have to live through this. And this was one of the most positive women you would ever meet. But here's what I'm saying. Time and the right tools in the toolbox, you begin to overcome things. So when I go back, what I don't have in my toolbox, I go back and see what my mom had in her toolbox with an eighth grade education raising 10 kids. I go back in to see my grandmother's toolbox. I go back in to see my former pastor's toolbox. I go back in to see people I don't even really know. I read about and I get coached because they overcome these crazy things like, you know, a great psychologist, Frankel, who, you know, was through, through the Holocaust and stuff. So what I'm saying is you can coach yourself. You can coach yourself up. And, and, and you have it in you. I've done, and we're going to pray right now because I'm done. But I, I, we were talking about this. It's kind of weird. We were talking about this, I think, yesterday or today. And it's, you may need to go on down, Chuck. And we were talking about this yesterday or today. And I've said this multiple times. There's been people that we've done their going home celebrations here that filled this auditorium. And I'm talking average guy, Mr. Dennis, one of my prayer intercessors and warriors, amazing man, but just a common guy, had a funny looking eye, one, he'd look at you and one eye go that way and one eye go that way and kind of bushy gray hair, a little heavy dude and quiet spoken and Josh is back there nodding. He just look, he is not even like impressive at all. But man, at his viewing the night before his funeral, this place was packed. His funeral, the next place. 
this place was packed and people of all ages were crying over and talking about the different things that he'd done for them. Kevin, you, uh, he mentioned this morning, a big sound guy when he passed away, about 500 pounds. Kevin was an amazing guy, been through a lot of things, but he, if he even had a clue of how many people were crazy about him and the impact he had that we still, even today, talk about him. And he's one of our all-time favorites. Went to heaven at 52. That's just too young. And he had lost almost 100 pounds trying to get his weight under control. But he ended up suddenly having a heart attack and dying. Filled this place up. Preachers, millionaires, down and out. It didn't matter. Kevin touched everybody. But he could only fit in about two outfits that he owned. Big old black t-shirt and blue jeans, and he had about three different faded versions of it. But you would have never known. And then I've been to people's funerals and done people's funerals that you thought would it'll be standing room only. And it'd be embarrassing. There might be 20 people, including family there. What are you saying, preacher? Never underestimate your impact. Never underestimate your influence. Never underestimate the God in you, which is the hope of your glory. Never underestimate the tools that God created you with. And never underestimate the things you've lived through or people you know or love have lived through. And how you can turn that on the enemy and turn that in your favor and walk through this life at another level. And the thing about it, I used to preach at all time about a lot about Elijah whatever, uh, uh, he had just slayed the hundred prophets or whatever of Baal and Jezebel was, you know, coming after him and he was under the juniper tree. I used to preach it, call it the juniper tree experience. Here this guy is, commanded a drought for three and a half years, slays a hundred false prophets with his own hands, commands fire to come down from heaven on a watered sacrifice and then speaks and it rains. And now he's running from a lady who really isn't strong enough to do anything to him. And he's under a tree, God, complaining to God, just kill me now, Lord. I'm a dead man. God's like, get up. And here's the key. Remember I said this to you over the last two weeks. Pain is only in your past or your present. It's never in your future. And what did God do? He began to show Elijah his Elisha. He began to show Elijah his Elisha. He began to show Elijah his school of prophets. And because of the dream and the vision was so exciting to Elijah, he got up, shook himself off, tucked his thing in, and he started running in the direction God saw, and that's where he found Elijah. So whatever you're going through, through is important. And don't ever be afraid to talk about what Pastor Chuck was talking about. Don't ever be afraid. That's why connect groups. That's why any way you can build relationships with people that have like faith and godly faith is good. They'll still hurt you. They're not perfect. I'm not perfect. I'll miss it. I'll say something stupid. Or I'll not do something you want or someone else will. But you know what? Let's grace everybody. And let's get through this thing and don't just get through it ourselves. Let's take some people with us. Amen? Stand up. We'll pray right now. Father, I just thank you for every person here and those watching on Facebook Live. Everyone counts. Everyone counts. And we give you praise for Pastor Chuck and what you spoke 
over us tonight. We receive it. And we thank you, God, that we're going to begin to put those tools he gave us tonight in our toolbox. And we're going to start using them and trusting you more and more and walk in victory in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I sure do love you. You are amazing. Give one more big hand clap for Jesus. Love you. I can't love you, man. <laughs>